Man, that, that worship and praise is good, isn't it? I was just, I was sitting there, thinking, that last song, I mean, they're all so good, touched my heart in such a way. But uh, that last one, I'm just thinking that when Zach and Dolly hear that, that they're going to be kind of jealous, you know? They guys do such a great job, and man, uh, just so thankful for them, for that ministry. If that don't set your heart, kind of get the tone set, uh, I think they said, if, you know, if that don't get your fire started, then your wood must be wet, right? That goes back, that goes back a long ways, long ways. Hey, do you remember Brother Matt, Sister Steph, they're, uh, they are out camping, 100 degree weather with thunderstorms. I mean, what more could you ask for, right? <clears throat> talked to him, uh, talked to him yesterday or, or texting him. Okay, so I had my wife text. I'm not the techie guy, okay? Uh, but we did check in on them, and uh, they said everything was cool after the wind came. We had a little wind at our house. I don't know if you did or not, but uh, didn't blow anything down. Uh, but anyway, they, everything was good there, so continue to remember them in prayer. They'll be back, I think, uh, tomorrow, and uh, hope they've had a great vacation. We're going to continue on in the book of Romans. Uh, the study, Brother Matt finished up chapter 9 last week. We're going to dive into chapter 10, uh, starting with verse 1. And so verses 1 through 13 are going to kind of be my service, my introduction this morning. And then I've got a, uh, a little bit of a message after that. But man, Paul is writing. What do we decide, brother? Um. Paul's writing to the church of Rome. Uh, Paul, as you know, man, he, he's an Isra he is an Israel Jew at heart. He was born and raised uh, a Jew, but he's a converted Jew at this point in his life. And, and so he's writing to the church at Rome, and I want to just read. Uh, actually, we're going we're gonna to kind of pedal through. We're going to kind of read and preach a little bit, uh, do something a little bit different uh, through those first 13 verses. So before we get started, let's just pray. Father, just come to you. Father, I'm so thankful for the praise and the worship service we've just been through, Father, just to touch our hearts and to sing of you, sing praise of us in such a way, Father, I just, uh, just love you and thank you for that time, and I pray now as we open your word that you would bless the preaching of your word, Father. I am simply nothing without you, but with you we can accomplish all things, and I pray, Lord, your blessing that every heart, every heart in this house this morning would be touched by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 1, says this, Brethren, <clears throat> again, Paul's writing to the church at Rome. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. But not according to knowledge, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And Paul is simply saying at this point, he's, he's, he's writing to the church, he's saying, man, uh, the, the, the people of Israel are still on my heart, and I, I pray for them. It's my heart's desire that they would come 
to know Jesus Christ. He says, I know they have this great zeal. They, they are wanting to serve God. He says, I look back on my life, and I've walked those same footsteps. He says, I walked through life as, as a, a dedicated Jew living by the law and, and serving my God, doing everything I thought was right in the eyes of God. He persecuted the church. He was not afraid to jail people who were, were preaching the word of God to take their life. He was, he was actually on the road to Damascus to, to see what damage he could do to the church whenever God spoke to him, whenever God blinded him. They put him up on his knees and he converted him. He touched his life in such a way that he came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. So Paul looks back at, at the, the Jewish people and he has this affection for them in, in his heart. But he says, but I know uh, that they, until they understand that they need Jesus, that they're chasing the wrong plan. And so for in our life, man, we got to always make sure that we're chasing Jesus. Amen. It's just such a, such a, a, a sound message as, as we look at this. It goes on, it says in, in verse, starting in verse number five, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to, to bring Christ down from above, or who will de descend down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. And, and Paul simply saying, hey, the answer lies in the word of God. The answer lies in the message that we have as we proclaim uh, liberty through Jesus Christ. And that same message uh, is so solid, is so sound today. And it brings us to verse 9, and it simply says this. So Paul says all that to say this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. I want to just stop right there and just, just think about these verses for just a moment. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That saved goes back to the, the Greek word sozo. Uh, it means uh, to be healed, to be rescued, to be preserved. And the simplicity of the gospel lies in, in these couple of verses, that when we're willing to believe in our heart in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we're willing to believe that He's the Son of God, that He came to, to redeem us, to pay our sin debt that we could not pay, when we put our faith and our trust, when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, and, and we proclaim that, we confess with our mouth that, that we become saved, that we become a child of God on that day, in that moment, amen, we become part of the family of God. And folks, that's not just for that moment, amen, that's for an eternity. It's the day that we make our choice. There's lots of religions in the world. There's lots of, of works-based planning and programming, trying to convince people that in order to get saved, that this, this is all you've got to do. You've got to follow these instructions. You've got, you've got to get that out of your life. You've got, you've got to get better in this area. Uh, you've got to do this or you've got to do that. But the Lord gives us the, the true plan in these two verses when he says, if you're willing to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the grave, that thou shall be saved. It doesn't get any sweeter than that, does it? It doesn't get any simpler than that. That means regardless of what from this morning, regardless of how much money you have in your pocket this morning, uh, whether you can bend over and touch your toes. Brother Matt, the other day, we was, we was in a staff meeting, 
and uh, getting ready to start the staff meeting. And out of the blue, we, we're all, he's always been to the gym, right? <clears throat> he's always, he's always uh, showing me his biceps, pumped up, you know, whatever he's working on. And uh, he's like, man, can you touch your toes? And I'm like, yeah. He, and he's like, oh, you cannot. And I said, well, I can. And, and, I, and I did. And, you know, and, and he's like, man, I, you know, I just, I, you know, I'm, I, got, I can't believe where I, I can't remember where I was going with that story. It, had, it, it was totally, total application, but I did not where, know where I was going with it. What can I say? I do not know. It had, it had, a, had, had, a, great, had a great point. All right, come back at 11, and come back at 11, and I will fit that in, into my story. But the, the gospel, the gospel uh, is so simple. And, and so plain, and, and it's presented to us in, in such a way that, that we don't have to accomplish this. We don't have to accomplish that. He says simply in your heart, if you're willing. And, oh, I know where I was going with it. Okay. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So, <clears throat> so I was able to just reach down and touch my toes, and he was pretty amazed at a guy my age. That, that, he uses words like that, a guy your age. You know, that, that, that don't suit too well, but that's how it is. But it... Uh, but, but you don't have to meet certain qualifications in order to be saved. If I can't touch my toes, that's okay. If you don't have a wallet filled with money this morning, that's okay. If you're growing older than you thought you would ever grow, that's okay. If, if you, your plans for life, you know, if you had plans, if you look back 10 years ago and you had this, this plan for life and, and you was going to be here, this is where you was going to be, man. You was going to climb this ladder and you was going to be living here in this house and driving this kind of vehicle, and having this much money in the bank, and all your kids, everything was going to be great. But you find out that along the way you got sidetracked. And so life isn't what you expected. That's okay, because we've got a God that still loves you, a God that says, my, my, my plan of salvation is a simple plan. It's not based upon what you can bring to the table. It's not based upon what you can bring to the party. It's not based whether you can touch your toes or not. Amen. It's based on the love that Jesus Christ demonstrated when he says, all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Now, you do have to do that. You have to reach a point in your life where you sincerely understand that, that you are a sinner, that you have to understand that, man, I'm short of the place. That I, I like that last song. It says, man, I, I'll never be perfect. Today, my life is filled with sin. You know, we often, we often think about the sin in our life, the things that we shouldn't be doing that we do, and, we, and, and those are sinful. But, man, I think for, for Christians, so much more is the things that we should be doing that we don't do, you know? And the, just being the father, being the husband, being the wife, uh, being the, the co-worker with somebody, and, and letting them see Jesus Christ in our life. And, man, I, I fail. I can make a list of the things that I shouldn't do, and at the end of the day, I look through those, and I, I do pretty good at those. You know, I'm able to say, yeah, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, I didn't steal, I didn't murder nobody. You know, I, I can, I'm pretty good at the don't do this list. I'm not perfect by any means. But man, whenever I start to think about the list of the things that God has set before me to do, and, and I've walked through life, and, and I've pretty much focused, uh, at the end of each day, I turn around and look, and I've pretty much focused my day on me. You know, selfishly, I have focused my day on me instead of focusing on the people who God has put into my path. 
And I often walk right past them, and, and man, I, my heart, you know, it, I'll be, I have a, a piece of compassion. I feel sorry for them, uh, and, you know, but I keep right on walking. I, I pass right on by. When God gives me the opportunity to maybe speak into somebody's life, the love of Jesus Christ as he has touched my life. And so it's important for us to, uh, to just be mindful. Man, we're, we're not going to be perfect. God says you ain't got to be perfect. What I have for you is not based on how, how good you are, but on the fact that he was willing to die on the cross of Calvary to pay the debt that I could not pay. Every day. Again, I like those songs that just continue to remind me because the, the world, sometimes the world, people looking in on the church, sometimes they think, man, those people think they're perfect. You know, they think they're better than me. We're not better than anybody, you know. Uh, we, we've probably been able to overcome some certain sins in your life. I can look back at some things that I dealt with, and, and they don't really present a problem to me anymore. I've, I've had the victory. I've, Jesus Christ has brought me through that, and I've got the victory. But I, I've, I've slammed the door on that. But Satan has come in many other doors in my life, and he does it on a daily basis. And as a church, we just have to always remember, man, we are broken people for broken people. And man, it's just, you know, that just reiterates the message to you this morning. I'm so glad that each and every one of you, regardless of where you come from this morning, I'm so thankful that you're here to, to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. So God's plan is, is simple. Uh, the world wants to sometimes complicate it, to confuse the, the message of salvation. But it simply says, if you're willing to, to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, uh, that thou shalt be saved. For the scripture says, whosoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 13. I like the fact that he says that there's no distinction uh, between the Jew and the Greek. And in Paul's mind, I mean, he's looking back when he's talking about the Jew and the Greek, man, it couldn't be much more um, diversified than the Jewish people and, and the Greek and the way they lived and the way they thought. As we think about it today, he simply says there's no difference in the black and in the white. There's no difference in the rich and in the poor. There's no difference in the educated and the uneducated. There's no difference. I, I, Ernie Haas sings a song. I hope I got that name right. Uh, but it says, at the foot of the cross, all ground is level. And he says, dear friend, at the foot of the cross, there is no difference between me and you. At the foot of the cross, it doesn't make any difference uh, how many years you've worked, how much money you've accumulated. At the foot of the cross, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that makes the difference. And it levels everything out. And, man, as a, as a church, that's the way in our eyes that we, we, we look at the world is, man, we're all, we're all equal in the fact that we're all sinners, uh, that we've all come short of the glory of God, and only the blood of Jesus Christ can cover the sin debt that you and I owe. Amen? Okay, um, and then in verse 13, he says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, that means you, that means me, that means regardless of where you come from, it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Whosoever, the door is open completely up. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and so, as I read through this, as I studied through this, Here's the thought that comes to my mind is, who is God that he can give us these promises? Who is God that, that he can say, all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth? 
Who is this God that can say, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Who is this God that we worship and that we praise in song? And so this morning, I want you to think, what I'm, what I'm hoping to be able to do this morning is to get you to think about, actually to think about God just a little bit more and who He is and how we can define Him. We can't bring Him in. We can't bring Him in and, and stand Him here on the stage beside us. I can't say, hey, this is our Heavenly Father. I can't do that. I can't introduce Him like that. But I can tell you about the attributes that he has. And I got six attributes I want to share with you. First of all, this morning, God is eternal. Everlasting. For me, that's a little bit hard to grasp. I get the part that he's everlasting, that that time is never going to end, that God is forever, that he reigns forever, that that he is my almighty God, my heavenly Father, from this moment forever. Never-ending time. But on the other end of that, God has been around forever. Amen? I mean, when we read John chapter 1, it says, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, it's talking about, you know, the, the old earth being formed. It goes on to say that everything was created was created by Jesus, you know, and, and, and so it defines that. But that's the beginning of the earth. That's the beginning of, of this, this earthly time as we know it. But God has been here forever. He had no beginning. He's been around forever. He will be around forever. So when we look at that, let me just give you a, a verse or two. Romans chapter 1 and 8 says this, I'm the Alpha and I'm the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, says Jesus. Who is who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, says, But beloved, do not forget one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. You know, it just gives us a, a, just a, something to think about, that in God's timetable, you know, we think about life, we think about, man, if you can live to be a hundred years old, a hundred years is getting pretty old, right? I mean, that's getting, that's getting up there. Some of you have just got a few more years to make it. I was going to somebody use some names, but I won't make anybody mad at me. But 100 years is, it seems like a long time in this earthly life. But just imagine it in a time that is truly never going to end. Uh, I love the way that the Word says when to, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? And, and, and Paul, Paul made that statement. And to be absent with the body, when we take our last breath of this earthly life, we're immediately going to be our face-to-face with our Lord and our Savior, our, our Jesus. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. So this, this timetable that we are, have gotten used to, this 70 years or this 80 years, this 100 years, is going to come to an end. Our earthly life is going to come to an end. But gosh... Guys, we're just in the middle, we're just in the beginning of our eternity, amen? Of our eternity, it's, it's our, our life, uh, what we know is life, except it's going to be a glorified life at that point, is, is never going to end, and our Jesus has promised to be there through it all.
haben die Asiskehlen. These guys, they're going to hate me after a while. Number one, God is eternal. Just get that in your mind. He, he, is, he is never, our time with him, if you're a child of the Lord, our time with him is never going to end. It has began, amen? It is, it's already, if you're saved, you're part of the family right now. But that time is never going to end. If you've been saved for 40 years, think eternally, you just have a million years to go on top of that 40 that you've lived on. So, so our relationship with Christ is eternal. Number two, God is holy. Um, Webster des describes holy in this way. He says, one worthy of devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. One worthy of devotion, worthy of praise. We praise God today because he's a holy God. Amen? When we sing, a, we, he, he's holy and, and I'm not. He's holy and, and you're not. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I like God's encouragement uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13. Uh, it says this, be holy for I am holy. So we've got instruction about being holy. We have a holy God. Uh, Webster says one that, that is worthy of devotion, worthy of praise because he is perfect and he is righteous. Uh, whenever I thought about it, my, my definition was absence of sin without blemish. And, and for my mind, that, that kind of makes sense. I mean, that's why they pay Webster the big money and, and I don't. You know, his, his, his definitions are better than mine. But whenever I think about without blemish, I think about uh, the, the perfect white sheep without blemish, without any dirty spots, without any spots upon it. And I, and I think about Jesus Christ's life, that, that he was able to live a life without sin, without blemish. Not one time, not one time did he say something or think something that he shouldn't have. Uh, and, you know, Jesus' life, you think his life was just perfect? You think he ever had any issues to deal with? I think he had all kinds of issues. He walked down the, the same pathways that, that we walk. But every time that I fail, he was able to do the right thing. Every time that I say something that I shouldn't have said, you know, and, and I, I'm a pretty patient guy, but sometimes you get to the point and you get aggravated and you say something and you're like, man, I wish I hadn't said that. What you're really saying is I wish I hadn't said that in front of those people. Right? You know, you're, you're embarrassed by your failure. But Jesus never failed. He never had one blemish on his record, and he lived a life without sin in order. The reason uh, that, that he was able to, to be this ultimate sacrifice on the cross of Calvary is because he lived without sin his entire life. He was a holy God. He was one without blemish. He was deserving of our praise and deserving of our worship. And so that's who we see is a God who is eternal. We see a God who is holy. We see a God who is all-powerful. I'm going to read to you a little bit out of the book of Job. It's chapter 26, starting with verse 7, if you want to, if you want to go there. But it talks about his powerfulness. It says this, it says, He stretches out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the water in his thick clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. He covers the face of his throne and spreads his cloud over it. 
He drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters at the boundary of the light and the darkness. That's kind of a big uh, mark against all you flat earthers. Right on? He, he, drew, uh, he drew the circular horizon. It's by his grace. It's by his touch. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his rebuke. He stirs up the sea with his power. And by his understanding, he breaks up the storm. By his spirit, he adorned the heavens. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. And then verse 14 says this. Indeed, all these things, the fact that he is the author of the rain, uh, that he's the one that fills the clouds with water, and they don't just burst out and, and drop by the gallon, although sometimes it seems almost like that in the last few weeks, right? I mean, we've had, some, we've had our share of rain. But he's the author of of the, of the clouds and the rain. He controls the seas. He controls the winds. He's the one that hung the earth on nothing. He's the one that created the circular horizon where it separates the darkness and the light. He's that almighty God. And, and yet it says in verse 14, Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways. These are only the edges of it. How small a whisper we hear of him, but the thunder of his power who can understand. It says all the things that we see, all the things that God accomplishes, that we, we look at his hand and, and how he moves and, and all the things, these are just the mere edges of who God is. He's so much deeper. We don't even understand the power of his thunderings. We don't understand uh, the capabilities that an almighty God carries, how powerful that he is. But that's our God. There's nothing that's beyond his ability. We're limited. I can touch my toes, but I can't bench press 200 pounds anymore. You know, I, can, I used to be able to, like, run a mile in, in six minutes. I've got a grandson. He's getting ready to go into the Marines. And uh, he was telling me the other day, and, and this goes back several months. He was just getting started. And uh, he's like, Grandpa, I broke the 10-minute mark. I'm like, 10-minute what? He says, the 10-minute mile. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. That's slow. He, he says, it is not. It's the first time I've, I've got it. I said, oh, yeah, okay. But he's, he's been working, and, and so now he's down to like eight-minute miles, which is pretty cool. Uh, I used to, when I was young, I mean, a long time ago, I, I could run about a six-minute mile. And, and, you know, but those days, I can no longer do those things. I'm limited to what I can do. Uh, as you grow older, you have to kind of get used to that. There's a lot of things that life changes along the way. But we've got a God Almighty that it, he, there is no limitations. So, so what that means is when we look at, he, he demonstrated that power in, in many different ways. Remember a guy by the name of Noah? Uh, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights because God said, hey, it's, I'm going to bring rain for 40 days and 40 nights. At God's will, the rain fell. Remember the guy by the name of Moses? The Lord says, Moses, go get my people. Bring them out of Egypt. Moses like, hey, who am I? Who am I to do such a thing? The Lord says, tell them that I am sent you. Okay? Tell them God sent you. Tell them God's behind this plan. Tell them God's going to bring some plagues if that's what it takes. Well, who can do that? My God can do that. And so God brought them out of Egypt, and man, they sent them across the desert. They come to the, the Red Sea, and it's like, what are we going to do now? 
like Pharaoh and his army, they're kind of ticked off. They're kind of mad at us. And so they're behind us and they're closing in. And it's like, Lord, what are we going to do now? He says, Moses, hold your staff up. Do what I tell you to do because God's behind this plan. And you'll see my hand work in a remarkable way. Who could do that? Our God can do that. Our God can do that. When David picked up the five smooth stones, when he told Saul, he says, man, I don't need your armor. I can't even move around in that armor. All I need is a slingshot and five smooth stones. David was wrong. He only needed one stone, right? That's all it took because God was behind it, because God was in the plan. And so when we look at this and you think about your life and you think about the challenges that you're going through, and part of the, the, because of this attribute of God, I just want you to be mindful of the things that you're going through. Our God is big enough to see you through them. Our God, the one that we worship, the one that we praise, when we get on our knees and we call upon his name, they're, they're, the God that hears you is the one that's big enough to get you through the struggles that you're in the midst of. We get in trouble a lot of times because we rely upon who? Us. Right? I will figure out a way to get through this mess. I'm going to do it. We're going to do it my way. And after about two weeks, you're like, man, this is not working. This is not going how I had hoped that it was going to go. Because sometimes we have a tendency to leave God out of the plan. He is an almighty God. Folks, he's capable of ministering to uh, the struggles that we live in the midst of. Amen? Number four, God is all-knowing. Um, God sees today from tomorrow. Think about that. He sees your today from tomorrow. He already knows how your day is going to end. Amen? He already knows how, you, how your next week is going to end. If you want to get technical, he already knows how this life is going to end. He says, there's a day appointed. It's, it's your last day. It's already appointed. He already knows that answer. You don't know it. Your doctor doesn't know it. Your wife, even though she mo knows most everything else, doesn't know that. Amen? Oh, you guys are, yeah, way to go. Hey, Amen bunch of chickens bunch of chickens he's an all-knowing God let me read to you out of Psalms chapter 139 verses 1 through 6 it says this O Lord you have searched me and known me you know my sitting down and you know my rising up you understand my thought afar off you comprehend my path and my lying down with all my ways for there is no word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me, you have protected me, behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And God is an all-knowing God. And when we walk through life <clears throat> as a Christian, it's important for us to know that. And he, he, he's an all-knowing God. There's nothing that he doesn't already know. David, the psalmist, is who had written that. He says, man, uh, Lord, you already know the words before I speak them. 
You know my thoughts. You know the motive behind the things that I do. Have you ever done anything and, man, you did it with a smile? You just, you, you did something and you smiled about it, but the whole time you was thinking, oh, oh. But you're like, here you go, here you go. Got that for you. In your mind, you're like, oh, man, I do not like that person. I do not enjoy that at all. Let me tell you, that person may not know your thoughts. They may not know your motive, but God does. God does. The secrets that you try to keep in life, they're not secrets before God. He knows all about them. I was doing a little study and uh, or reading. I just love to read, but it talked about the stress that is involved in trying to keep a secret. Uh, from your family, from, from your spouse, from the people that you work with, the stress that, that it just never stops when you carry a secret with you through life. And, you know, it's so important for us to, to start with God and just realize that God knows everything. God knows everything that we're trying to hide from the world in which we live. It might just be a burden. You might, you might have this worry that drags you down. You are so concerned about something happening to you and, and, and it consumes you. Nobody in the, in the world knows this. You put on the face and you say, hey, life is good. And, and you smile real big. But inside you are torn apart with worry. You are torn up, apart with bitterness. You're still mad about something that happened 13 years ago. You've carried it with you. Everybody else has forgot about it. And you're carrying it with you. God knows this. Open your heart up and let God speak into you, even today. Let God remove some of that, that burden, some of that stuff that, you know, I, always, I used to relate it like you just pack up this suitcase, you fill it up with weights, and you go and you just drag it around. And it is, it is such a burden to drag around that you just, it, it keeps you from, from functioning. It keeps you from doing your daily life because you're dragging this suitcase around that's filled with weights. Yet many of us do that very same thing by carrying our anger and our bitterness and our covetousness and our pride and things that we just won't let go of that is stealing away the joy and the peace that God wants us to have. And yet God knows all about it. David says, Lord, not only do you know the words that I speak, but you know the thoughts that I think. And David says, I'm glad of that. That's where we need to get. We need to get to the point that with the Lord, we are glad that he knows our thoughts. That's a challenge, isn't it? He already does. He already knows them. But we need to, to get our, in our fellowship with Christ to the point that we're glad that God knows our thoughts. We're glad that he knows when we struggle, when we're having a difficult time. I'm glad that God knows that because he's the one that can bring comfort and can bring peace in my life whenever I need that. I like the fact that his word says that if we lack wisdom, all we have to do is ask, and he pours into our life liberally. Amen? I, there's lots of times in my life where I struggle for, for, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? And, man, I've learned if I can just take a few minutes and pray and, and seek God's wisdom, seek God's spirit in my life, let him have his way, then I'm normally a whole lot better off than if I try to do it my way, and I try to rush into it. I kind of messed up there. I said normally. 
I, I think I'm safe in saying whenever I seek God's direction that I'm always better off than when I try to do it my way. He's an all-knowing God. Number four. Number five is he is a God of love. What is God's motive? What is God's purpose? Why are you here? It's because of his love for you. Why were you born into this earth? It's because he had a plan for you. He had a plan for me. And so we spend our life trying to figure out what is that plan and trying to, to walk in the pathway that God wants us to, to live. That's where we'll find fulfillment. That's where we'll find contentment. But he is a God of love. Um, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the next verse says God sent his son not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen? God loves everybody. You know, sometimes in our mind we have a hard time with that. Well, how could he love this person or how could he love that person? How could he love me? How could he love you? But he, he does. Amen? On our most rotten day, when you're, you're thinking, man, I've screwed life up so bad. How could have I said those things? How could have I did what I did? How could have I failed in this same way that I've been failing? Lord, how can you love me? It's because he's a, a, a God that, that we've talked about, because he's a God of love. And it goes on. Let me. Jeremiah chapter 31 and 3 says this. The Lord has appeared of old to me. This is Jeremiah, the old-time prophet, the weeping prophet. Um, Israel, I mean, they've been taken captive. They're living in, in captivity at this point. Uh, but the Lord, it says, the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He doesn't give up on you. He's an eternal God, amen. He's got an everlasting love for you. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. This is, he's, he's talking to the Israelites. He's talking to the ones that have turned their back and have worshipped everything besides God. And so finally, they were taken into captivity. And now he says to them in captivity, man, I haven't stopped loving you. I haven't given up on you. He says, matter of fact, uh, this, I, I reach out in love and draw you speaks to, to their heart, trying to bring them near to the place that he wants them to be. Have you ever felt the, the call of God? Have you ever been drawn? Have you ever been the Holy Spirit ever spoken to you? Not, not as in, into salvation, but after you're saved and just walking through life, has, has that Spirit ever drawn you into, you know, trying to get you to move in a certain way, uh, a way of kindness, a way of gentleness? We look at the fruit of the Spirit, a way of patience. Has God ever tried to get you to be more patient? He does that because he loves you. He wants the best for you. Uh, he wants the very best for you. Uh, has he ever tried you to, to let go of that, that bitterness, that anger that, that you're still carrying? Has he ever, man, has he ever just drawn you and said, why don't you just let go of that? Let me take care of that. He says, I draw you. I, I call you because I love you, because I want the best for you. I want, I want you to be in the place that I've created for you to be. That place, that pathway that I have made for you to walk, that pathway that you're going to find that, that love and joy and that peace and that patience and, and, and the, uh, the kindness and the gentleness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the self-control, that place that I want you to walk. I've created that place for you, and I'm drawing you. I'm drawing you because of the fact that I love you. 
I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross because I love you. I sent my son Jesus to pay the sin debt that you could not pay because I love you. He's a God of love. And then finally this morning, he's a God of grace. <clears throat> I, I just love the interaction of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the, at the Samaritan well. And uh, the Jews and, and the Samaritans, they, they didn't get along. They were like enemies. They're mess- now they're messing with me. I knew that was coming. The Samaritan woman was, was there with her bucket to drop it down into the well to bring up water to get a drink. Jesus comes up to her, and they begin having conversation. They begin talking about the water. He says, the water that you're drawing, that thirst is going to come back. You're going to be back to the well to draw some more says, but the water that I give you is living water. The water that I give you brings life into your life. The water that I brings you uh, is a permanent, a permanent blessing unto you, to never end, to eternity, uh, to, to be with you. I like the fact that in our life, we get caught up in things that requires us to drop the bucket back into the well. And we come today, and we drop it down, and we draw it, and we work that satisfies our needs, our wants, for maybe a day, maybe two days. And what we thought had made us happy, all of a sudden, there's a void there, and we're back to the well again. And so we drag our bucket daily. We continue in that work. Maybe it's called work. Maybe it's called social status. Maybe it's called financially being well off, wherever that is in your mind. Uh, but we are, we are so committed to our earthly plan that daily we bring our bucket back to that well, and, and daily we have to lower it, and daily we bring it back up, and we drink from it, and there's some temporary satisfaction because we think we're taking care of of what we need to take care of. And we go through life like that. And by the time we get down the road just a bit, we're tired of drinking that, back, that bucket back to that well and having to, to drop it back into the well and, and to bring more up on a day. We, we've worn out. And we begin to realize that maybe what we're chasing isn't the right thing to be chasing. I thought the other day, I sat at the house and uh, sitting on the porch, I thought how life changes, how we get caught up as a young man. Uh, I remember going through college and, and getting, getting my uh, degree and, and going to work and, and beginning to plan what I thought was the path of success. You know, what kind of house I needed to live in. How much property that I needed to own? What kind of car, what kind of vehicle that I needed to drive? And, and, and trying to piece all that plan together, and, and you kind of get something laid out, and then you begin to chase it. And, and daily, you bring that bucket back. Man, you're just dedicated to work, and you're dedicated 
to being popular. You're dedicated to all those things that we chase. And earlier this week, I got to thinking of all those things that we chase, how much of that really matters at the end of life. You know, probably 20 years from now, maybe 10 years, maybe 40 years, but probably somebody, somebody else is going to be living in the house that we call home. Whatever car you're driving, unless it's like a 65 Chevelle or something, <laughs> but whatever your car you're driving is probably going to be sitting in a, a car graveyard somewhere, right? But I was able to drive that truck for $600 a month for five years. They set me up. They did me a favor. Yeah. They did you a favor, all right, because they took your eyes off of what Jesus wanted, and they brought you back to that well every day in the middle of the heat, in the middle of the day, back to the same well with the same bucket trying to accomplish that same thing. And we chase it from here to here to here. Jesus says the water that I have to give you is the water that can make a difference in your life. Not only for salvation, right? I mean, we talked about Romans in, in chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the grave and thou shalt be saved. That's salvation. That's becoming part of God's family. That's the first step, Amen. That's the first step that you got to take. But after that, it's grace. He's a God of grace for life. He's a God that you can trust. The attributes I picked out this morning, I, I hope that as you think about these attributes, that, that it portrays a God you can trust. Because in order to be part of God's family, you've got to trust Him into salvation. You say, Brother Mike, that's too simple. It's God's word. It's God's plan. But after that, folks, it's grace for life. And the things that we chase, Jesus says, I've got the answer. Taste of the water that I have to offer you. He's a God that we can, he can, that we can trust in our life. And so my challenge this morning is just simple. I, I like I say, I hope that I portrayed to you this morning a God. He's an eternal God. He's a holy God. He's an almighty God. He's all-knowing. He's a God of love. And he's a God of grace. And whether you're lost this morning and needing Jesus as your Savior, or whether you're here as a saved child of God and you're needing some grace poured into your life, we have a God that can minister to your need. Trust him. Trust him. Bow your heads with me, if you would, please. Lord, I just come to you. I am so thankful for the great privilege of sharing your word. And, Father, we, we often we walk through life without really realizing who you are, how precious you are, how holy that you are, that you have promised an eternity with us, not just a day or two, Lord, but an eternity, that you're an almighty God that you're an all-knowing God, that the struggles that we have in our life, Father, you already know all about them. You know the end already. And Father, help us to choose to walk with you because that's the path that you've chosen. 
Help us to be mindful of your presence. You're a God of love. And Father, we save the best for last. You're a God of grace. You pour into us even when we're undeserving because that's who you are. When we stumble and when we fall, you're there to pick us up. It's by your grace through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be part of your family. Father, I pray if there's one here today that's lost, that they know not Jesus, that this would be the day that they would choose to ask Jesus into their heart, to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth how simple the plan is that you've created, Lord, but yet you're God and it's your plan. How beautiful that is. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand if you would.